visiting for the first time, a couple of people visiting. Nice to have you guys this morning. We're going through the series, Race has mentioned it. We're talking about the wondrous worship and, and what is worship actually all about. It's, yes, it's coming together on a Sunday and stepping out our comfort zones and, and praising Him and worshiping Him, but it's also Monday to Saturday, and we've heard some incredible testimonies around that. Thank you, Swayze. This morning, we're going to speak about three things today. Turn with me as the rain starts coming to Revelation, the last book in your, in your Bible, book of Revelation. It's not written to a church for the future, it's written to a church of today, a church like us. And so we're going to look at three things specifically today, three quick points. Number one, is the Lamb center of your life? We're going to talk about that, that's that's the first point, is the Lamb center of, of your life? The second thing is, can you worship God in a very diverse community? Can you? Are you able to? We're young and old, rich and poor, black and white, educated, uneducated, single, married, divorced, where we come together, where, where everybody's the same, there's no structure, everything is, there's no hierarchy, we're on the same level. Are we able to worship God in a diverse community where each one of us are different? And then the third point that we're going to speak to about today is our worship needs to be fashioned by the cross. Our worship has got to be fashioned, it's got to be designed, it's got to be shaped around the cross. Thanks for putting it up this morning, Gareth. I checked you there with the oaks there. But Duncan, we needed you there. You're done on your own there, my brother. So those are the three points. Have you got your Bible? Mike, you got it there, but you don't write a specialized. So it says there in Revelation, we're going to look at chapter 4 and chapter 5, and then we're going to preach from chapter 5. John is writing this book. He's sitting on an island called Patmos. The waves are lapping up against the shore, and he gets this vision. God gives him this vision in heaven of what's happening, and so he writes it down, and he shares this vision that, that he gets. It's really incredible. Chapter 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, come up here, John, and I will show you what must take place after this. So at once, he says, I was in the Spirit now, and there before me, I'm in heaven. There was a throne in heaven, someone sitting on the throne. In Revelation 2 and 3, just before we're reading chapter 4 here, there's all sorts of trouble in the church. There's sexual issues. The devil's having a go. Jezebel's having a go. Some guys are in the church thinking, you know what, I've got money now. I don't really need to serve God. There's all sorts of trouble happening. Russia's fighting with the Ukraine. Different parties in parliament trying to overthrow government here in South Africa. There's major opposition taking place in the world. And he says two things in Revelation 4. He says, look, look and a throne. Those two things he mentions. And so in the midst of all this turmoil happening on earth right now in our country, in our city, in South Africa, in the world, I want to say to you, look to the throne. Government is very much in control at headquarters right now. Government has not been overthrown in heaven right now. God is on the throne. He's not walking up and down the throne panicking. No, he sends it on the throne. Everything is in control in heaven. Look Look to the throne. Maybe your family's in, in turmoil. I say to you today, look to the throne. And the one who sat there was as brilliant, this is God, as brilliant as gemstones. He's on the throne, like Jasper and Cornelian, some gemstones 
a rainbow that shone like an emerald surrounded the throne and then surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads and from the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder just sung about that eh? in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of god it's another name for the holy spirit in the bible and before the throne was 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 what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal beautiful in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and behind the first living creature was like a lion the second like an ox the third like a face of a man the fourth was like a flying eagle the commentators the clever theologians you know what they say about these animals they say that the noblest is the lion strongest is the ox the wisest the man the swiftest the eagle and so around the throne are the noblest the strongest the wisest and the swiftest they all around the throne and they are shouting It's an incredible picture. It tells us firstly, God is on the throne, seated, everything's in control. He is the Almighty. Sometimes we use that word a bit flippantly. Almighty. What is that? He is mighty over everything. He is mighty over all. And from the throne is coming flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder. Yes, we just did sing that song. It comes all the way back from Exodus chapter 19. You were in Sunday school. Chloe, you heard about that, where they spoke about Moses. He goes up to the mountain. God gives him up on the mountain the Ten Commandments. He comes down from the mountain. The mountain is shaking. There's thunder. There's lightning. Everybody's terrified. And you think, heck, how am I ever going to experience God's presence? Because I'm going to be so fearful of being in God's presence. There's lightning, there's thunder. And then it says there's a rainbow. It's like, what is all of that about? Well, there's a rainbow around the throne. That's reminding us of God's promise. Goes back to Noah. That's reminding us of God's covenants, God's promises for us. That He will never, ever, ever go back on and forget about His promises for us as His children. And so when we look at Him, we're reminded that He will he always keep His promises. He will always keep His promises. And then it says that there are these lights blazing in front of God. Seven lights, bright lights, perfect lights. The seven number, perfect. And so you've got to know that in God's presence, there's no darkness. So you maybe come from a very dark place in your life where there's shadows and things tormenting you from your past, from hurt. There's no darkness in the presence of God. And John says the sea looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. John's a fisherman. He would have fished in some very rough conditions where those two-stroke, two-wonder motors made you fish with those. Hey? You go up and down the swell six foot. He's been in rough conditions. When you see how the authors in the New Testament talk about storms in life, they refer to storms that we go through. They compare that to the storms on, on the sea. Rough conditions. You've checked that in Cape Town now. The storms are messing up everything. They're all over the Cape Coast there. He says, now, 
everything in God's presence. The sea is calm. Is there a storm in your life right now, ma'am? And look to the throne. Because in God's presence, the sea is calm. Maybe the sea is on its head in your life right now, sir. Look to the throne. Around the throne, the sea is calm. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders kneel down before him, they worship him, etc., etc. Jump to verse 11 there for us, Mel. You are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, God's will, they were created. Chapter 5, then I saw on the right hand of him, who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides of the scroll and it's sealed with seven seals. Perfect number. It's sealed perfectly. This letter is in God's right hand. It's a letter. It's a secret about His plan, about His redemption plan for us, for the earth. And it says no one has the privilege. No one can open up this seal that's God, that God is holding in his right hand no one's got the the power to do that and john then says he saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy who's the one that can open up this seal open up the scroll and read it no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll no one could actually even look inside the scroll no one could he says i wept And I got so sad, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep, don't be sad, John, don't be sad. Look, look, he says, see the line of the tribe of Judah. Say line of Judah. Say it there, Jamie, line of Judah. Say it loud, line of Judah. Where does this line of Judah come from? It comes from a a prophecy all the way back from Genesis 49. But the Lion of Judah that was going to enter this earth, the Lion of Judah was going to be our Savior. The prophets prophesied that hundreds of years back. And everyone's expecting the Lion of Judah. Everyone's expecting a Savior. Everyone's expecting a King. But they're expecting a Savior who's going to come. He's going to roar. He's going to come with swords and soldiers. And he's just going to stamp on and crush and scream over everybody. They didn't know. The light of Judah, his character was actually going to be like. Sometimes we think the same as those people, eh? Sometimes we think, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, and I'm going to go to my business partner, and I'm going to say, but you must turn or you must burn. I'm going to roar over people. I'm going to get people saved, and the church is going to loudly. We think the same, eh? It says, He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, He is. The root of David has triumphed. He is able. Don't weep. Don't be sad. He is the one that's going to be able to open up the scroll and read the letter. Then I saw a lamb. He's like, what's all this about? I've just checked this lion. Now I check a lamb on the throne. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing. This lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne. Say that with me, standing in the center of the throne. What's in the center of your throne? Who or what is in the center 
of your throne? Think about that question. It was the first one. Who or what is standing in the center of your throne? This is one of the greatest theologies in the whole Bible, friends. The Lamb goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Where one lamb replaces one man. You remember the story. Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And at the last moment, the ram appears. One lamb for one man. And then we pick it up again in Exodus 12. Where God says, tell the people to take one lamb for one family. One lamb for your family in Boxburg. Take that lamb. Put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost. Can you imagine you're staying in a townhouse complex here in Rhinefield? And, and, and you get told, okay, this is what I've got to do. I've got to put the blood over the lamppost of my front door for my family. And you're sitting there in the townhouse complex. And your neighbor just shouts out and screams. Ah! Firstborn of his family gets taken out by the avenging angel. And you're sitting in your townhouse. You're putting everything you have in the faith of God. You're saying, God, I've got nothing else to do. I can't do anything else. I'm just putting my faith in the blood of the Lamb. You're sitting there next to your son's bed. And as the avenging angel comes, he sweeps over. See, worship is not getting up here and saying, hey guys, you must sing loud, eh? You must clap, boots. You must raise. No, that's not worship. Worship goes back to worshiping the Lamb. Beautiful, eh? And then we see in Leviticus 16, it says, one lamb for the whole nation, Isaiah 53, one lamb for the sins of many. And then in John chapter 1, my life, John the Baptist, he's been preparing the way for the Messiah. He's preaching to his mates, his friends, and then he suddenly looks up and he says, guys, there he is. There, that's the one I've been telling you about. Look, he says, the lamb who takes away the sins of the whole, say it, the whole, got it. There's the lamb, takes away the sins of the whole world. Incredible story, man. Friends, we're praying as a, as a team that the lamb would be the center of this church. We're praying that at this church there would be no hierarchy, that the lamb would be the one that gets given glory in Freedom Church. Tuesday night we prayed. Why? Because if the lamb is given the center at Freedom Church, grace and mercy and redemption will flow from the Lamb on the throne. And so today, we pray that you will leave here placing the Lamb at the center of your throne and my throne and our throne. Amen? All through the Bible, we see that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He's meant to be on the throne. That's the way God planned it. But throughout history... And today, we, we see how people take Jesus off of the lamb, in, uh, the lamb off of their throne and put something else or themselves on the throne. What's on your throne? Could be a bicycle. Could be your financial wealth. Uh, it could be your health. You know that your health can become the center of your throne. Your phone, addiction, control. What's the center of, of your throne? Your children can become your idol. Do you know that? They can. Sex can become your idol. You say, oh, Daryl, but I'm married. It's fine. Even when you're married, sex can become an idol. And when we put anything else other than the lamb at the center of our lives, the redemption of Jesus will never flow from us 
into our families, into our relationships, into our workspace will never flow. And you think, Daryl, I don't have any idols in my life. I've given my life to Jesus. He is the center of my life. Is he? <laughs> so ask ourselves some tough questions here today. Was there a time in your life where you did something and you regret it? There was a moment, an error of judgment, and, and you wish that you, you could take back time and you could play it out and you would never have done that again. Is there a moment in your life where you oh, did that and you, you, you've come before God and you've said, God, will you forgive me? I, I should never have done that. I'm so sorry. And you know that God's forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And I say to you today that your unforgiveness is bigger than God's forgiveness. And I say to you today, if that's you, you need to take yourself off of the throne so that God's forgiveness can come and be put on the throne. It's a tough question, eh? Maybe you're sitting here today. You're a Christian, but you're dating an unbeliever. And this relationship that you have with this person is everything that you've got. Who's at the center of your throne? And I guess you're busy answering the question for yourself. Jesus, is he at the center? Or is that person at the center of your throne? When the Lamb is at the center of your life, grace and mercy and redemption and his plans and blessing start happening in your life. And I have one more example to share with you today. Where's that lady who came up and shared, shared it? There you are. This is a bit close to home for me as well. Because for me, the people pleaser. I value people's opinions about me so much. And often, you find yourself putting people's opinions on the throne instead of God's approval and God's opinion for my life. Who's on the throne of your life? These scenarios are tough and they sound a bit harsh, but I challenge us today. I challenge every single one of us today. Who is at the center of your throne? I mentioned this in the beginning of our series from 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, It's not with silver or gold that I have been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to me by my ancestors. It's by the precious blood of the Lamb who was chosen before the foundations of the earth. i say that again. It's not with silver or gold that I have been redeemed by the empty way of life handed down to me by my forefathers. I was thinking of this this morning. My dad told me about his grandfather who, who he had such an anger problem. He used to take the tap that wouldn't work and he used to rip it out. Anger problems, alcohol addiction, Abuse, Friends, all of us have stuff from our forefathers that have been handed down to us. And there's people sitting in the church that don't understand. They're living in bondage. They've been held back because they don't understand. From the day they gave their life to Jesus, the blood of the Lamb cuts off everything that's been handed down to them. And you are now in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And we've got this warped teaching that makes us believe, ah, oh, this is my law. I've, got, I've been handed this down. No, it's the precious blood of the Lamb that has set you free from all of that. 
So the Lamb, Jesus, let's read on, is standing at the center of the throne. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll. My life, Jesus, the Lamb takes the scroll from the right hand of God who sits on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Jump to verse 9, they sang a new song, singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood... You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Different people. Chosen. You purchased them with your blood. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. What the theologians say, friends, is that if you idolize something in your life, or you idolize somebody in your life, then you demonize the opposite of, of what that is. So if you idolize the specialized cycling brand, ah, I guess then you demonize every other. You're saying, Daryl, enough about that. Okay, let me use another example. If you idolize private education, then you're going to demonize government education. If you idolize university education, Jess, you shared, you're studying if you idolize university, then you're going to demonize everybody else who isn't qualified after matric. That, that's how the world works, friends. But this scripture says that the lamb is upon the throne and with his blood, he's purchased everybody from different tribes, different languages, different nations around the throne. English, Afrikaans. Black and white, educated, uneducated, single, married, divorced. He's purchased with his blood different people from different tribes and languages. And if you understand that, friends, then you'll be able to come to church on a Sunday and sit next to somebody from a different language group with different languages. And we'll be able to worship the Lamb together where nobody is superior where no one's special, and we'll be able to say the Lamb is the one that gets worshipped at Freedom Church. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands and ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He's the only one who deserves to receive all of that. The only one, the lamb. John's sitting on an island, friends. He gets given this vision. Rome is increasing. Christians are being killed. This, the church is in a mess in Revelation 2 and 3. And he says, look, look, just look. Just look, the throne, the Lamb, Jesus standing at the center of the throne. All sorts of people are around Him. All sorts of people, different people are worshiping the Lamb. You, you see, worship is shaped by the Lamb. Worship's not shaped by Hillsongs. It's not, it's not shaped by Bethel. Worship's not shaped by your upbringing. Worship is shaped and fashioned by the Lamb. 
three very simple points this morning. Friends, who's at the center of your throne? What's at the center of your throne? The second point, can you worship with people from different groups? Young and old, rich and poor. As we give the Lamb glory where no one except the Lamb is given glory. And number three, the Lamb that was slain on the cross is the only one that shapes our worship. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the the elders fell down and they worshipped. We can try and win the world for Jesus by shouting and roaring and screaming over our friends who we desperately want to get saved. We can. Or we can take an example from the lamb. Sacrificial lamb. In a society that has got no clue about gentle power. Our worship is not just singing songs on a Sunday next to your wife and your kids. Our worship is simply a response to the lamb. The lamb that was slain. The lamb whose blood was shed for us. So that we can worship our heavenly father. Monday to Saturday. In a city that will look and say, God gets the glory. Let's do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.